marker. Right. Hey, everybody, you're listening to Real Rap, a Split Tooth Media podcast hosted by Shane P. and uh, Bennett G. How's it going, everybody? Today, we're talking about the movie A New Leaf. Ah. Hell, I just turned one. Oh, hey, and you're going to be, uh, you're not going to want to turn this one over. <laughs> Don't touch that dial. Uh, this is a can of worms. You're, you might not be ready to, um, open up. Uh, not to mix metaphors or anything. I never saw a can of worms I didn't like. Ah, uh, yes. Except those dang night crawlers. Holy hell. What are those? The maggots ants? Uh, were you ever, did you ever do much fishing? Were you ever a guy who fished? Uh, yes. Really? I was a fisherman's, uh, nephew, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, see, so you would do it with, like, family. My dad and I did it at, like, Tyler Park every now and then. Mm-hmm. It's never, never a guy who could, uh, who, who could bait a hook, if you know what I mean. Yeah, my dad could, but mostly through, um, I guess spoken words. Mm-hmm. I feel like he, he learned it from the newspaper or something, yeah. because we would go to, like, the smallest, uh, most diminutive little ponds mm-hmm. and just kind of sit there and, uh, I think that was when I found out, like, yeah, my dad might not have it all. Uh-huh. That was, yeah, was kind of the, uh, that was the loss of innocence sort of moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about before in the podcast how up until you're a certain age, you sort of just assume your parents not only know everything, but are generally, uh, I don't know, know how to do most things and yeah. don't have good taste. Um, I don't think my parents have ever seen a new leaf. Speaking of reading the newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, talk about movies that are aspirational. I think Walter Matthau's character in this movie really lives uh, kind of my ideal life. When he goes to that sort of, I guess, like social club and it's just a room full of people like reading the news. You can just go to a place to like read the newspaper <laughs> and like smoke indoors. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know. Uh, they, they didn't let, you know, I mean, I, I guess this he, he's got this sort of, um, I don't know, uh, this, this, this guy who, you know, annoys him that also hangs out there, but seems like the life. Yeah, the idle rich. Um, you got the uh, you got the dang polo club. Ah. You got the freaking horse riding th- amphitheater. We haven't had wasp stuff like this since uh, honestly the second episode of the podcast. Oh my gosh, uh, Ron Howard's nemesis in Grand Theft Auto, whatever his name was, <laughs> like uh, I don't know, Bartholomew J. Simpson or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I, go ahead. I'm just going to say wasp shit will never not make me laugh. I think this is really one of those kind of bread and butter topics for me. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's pretty fun to to just witness and live in these super rich guy spaces. Mm-hmm. Like how you just have a miniature Italian tailor being like, Oh, so nice <laughs> to see you again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And speaking of Italian stuff, uh, another thing that's, that's coming uh, to the surface in these kind of movies from the sixties and seventies is the, uh, the abundance of anti-Italian sentiment in general. Uh, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure we get the word WAP a couple times here once again. Uh, which, <laughs> did you know that stands for without papers? You learn more. You, you learn huh. more every day. Look it up. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you learn something every day, rather. Learn more um, every day. What kind of praise is that? I, I, they should have been They should have been calling me a WAP in um, fifth and sixth grade because I was never doing my dang homework. Oh, wowee. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, consider me a WAP. I forgot my homework. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, um, I really like that the general like comic tone of this movie is very comparable to like an episode of um, for, for most of its runtime is very comparable to an episode of like your Kickstarter sucks. 
Like it's fairly, it's like, it's like fairly <laughs> muted, but never anything less than like uproariously funny. Uh-huh. She really kind of like a... lets gags like build over time, and they don't. There's no no punchline is really oversold. Um, it, well, right. doesn't do any mugging, you know. Uh huh. He uh uh, I feel like every gag is just kind of swept. Like it happens. Sometimes they go a little long, and then they just right into whatever the next one is. Mm-hmm. They wow. never get too into the plot. It's oh, this movie rules. Uh, to give yeah. people some background uh so this was elaine may's first uh directorial effort uh i don't know if she had directed theater um at this point i assume she probably did uh she was only the fourth woman uh to become part of the director's guild of america which is pretty fucking insane whoa Um, yeah when she made this she was literally like the only woman working for the hollywood studio system and uh it was a tumultuous shoot she turned in allegedly a three-hour cut of the movie uh wanted to Mm. disown this version of the movie they took her to court and apparently, wow. and this is probably an apocryphal story. Um, uh, not only does it sound kind of ridiculous, she's also known for she, she's admitted to sort of lying in like interviews a lot to kind of embellishing her story. But mm. um, they they said the judge was like uh, they they said after like the lights came up after like screening it for the judge, he was like laughing uproariously and he was like, "You guys win," because uh, like how could the movie be better than that? You know, how, how can you argue against this cut of the movie? Uh, and while you know, I'm inclined to agree. You know, how how can you argue with uh, any cut, with with the cut of this movie we've got? Uh, what I wouldn't give to see uh, Elaine May's director's cut of this movie, which we'll probably never yeah. see. Yeah. Um, oh man, that sucks. Yeah. Um, the movie. I, I wouldn't say that it's like weirdly paced necessarily, but I things are sort of introduced um, quickly and resolved pretty quickly, and it, it, like. Going to the Adirondacks for the last 10 minutes of the movie, not a lot of comedies that are only an hour and four, not a lot of movies that are only an hour and 40 minutes long would go to this far flung location for the last 10 minutes of the film, you know, <laughs> and have what looked to be pretty expensive sequences. Um, apparently, yeah. like full subplots are cut out. He was never going to, it was never going to end with him actually murdering Henrietta, but he was apparently going to be blackmailed uh, by two people who figure out about his plot to, uh, to, to kill her, uh, to get a little ahead of ourselves here. And he was going to kill them. So it was going to end with Whoa. him getting away with murder and then being kind of sentenced to to life with Henrietta. Um, I think the ending we get is kind of sweet. Um, yeah. I think that's kind of what I like about the movie, that it ultimately has this, like, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's it's you know, if it's a happy ending, it's a pretty uh, sour, happy ending. But, uh, you know, kind of sweet. Kind of puts yeah. his bow on everything. He just kind of throws his hands up. He's like, well, you know, it's not the plan, but I guess uh, we're going to be living together. Yeah, if you can't beat him, join him, right? Uh-huh. Um, uh, so, yeah, Elaine I- May would only direct uh, three more features after this. Uh, that's the next three episodes of uh, this uh, season six of Real Rap before we get into some of her uh, later career collaborations with Mike Nichols. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible that she's got a new film coming out called uh, Crackpot with Dakota Johnson. Uh, Dakota Johnson, in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, I think it was, uh, mentioned mm-hmm. that her next project is a new film from Elaine May. Uh, I mean, I don't know. if you When you follow this sort of the trades and entertainment news as much as I do, you learn to be sort of skeptical. I When this movie started, there was a few gags that I was... Um, like the whole car thing, and then the guy in a plane says he's got... So he, he's in a car, a little... Actually, before all this, first gag is on screen with the tu- with the credits rolling. There's like a heart monitor. What is that, what is that called? A uh, uh, EKG. R- EKG. It's like yes. beep, beep, beep. And it's Walter Matthau and these two guys with stethoscopes, and they're like, and the uh, 
the the EKG completely stops and it's like beep and they the two guys with stethoscopes look at the EKG look at each other look at Walter Matthau who I guess is like observing this process and they're like she's great <laughs> things running fine then you pan down and it's his car is getting some type of like uh, garage treatment. Yeah, it's another uh, throwback to Grand Theft Auto in the sense that these are uh, some jalopy boys. Although if they're working on a Ferrari, they would probably resent us calling them jalopy boys. But it's another mm-hmm. kind of uh, grease-soaked uh, pair of characters. <laughs> so uh, visual gag to open up and then he drives the car away and... There's this weird sequence where they're talking about carbon in the pipes. Oh, they said like a buildup of carbon. And he's like, how is he driving that thing that it breaks down all the time? And then he drives it seemingly normally or just like <laughs> he drives away and he's like speeding away and then immediately goes into like a huge like hundred car pileup of traffic. He's mm-hmm. uh, wearing a helmet. Yeah, <laughs> he wears a helmet when he drives the car. Mm-hmm. And then he gets, then he goes to a... I guess horse riding place. He's riding his horse with his friend, and <laughs> and the friend says, uh, "You know, uh, Ferrari. It's not built for the city. You should drive a Bentley." Mm-hmm. And Walter Matt, I was like, oh, oh, I've, "Are you are you kidding me? I've never heard something so absurd." He says, uh, "You know what Ferrari stands for? Fix it again, Tony." <laughs> Thank you. And then a guy on a very strange bit to open up, and they don't really get much stranger after this, is a guy runs up on a horse and is like, Henry, Mr. Graham, Mr. Graham, your lawyer, he needs to talk to you on the phone. He's been trying to reach you. And this guy has, I guess, been riding, like galloping on this horse for miles that Uh when he brings this news up, his horse just (laughs) breaks down and just like falls on the ground. And he's just like looking at the horse. And uh, as it lays down on the ground, and then uh, Henry's just like, all right. It's a weird bit. I forgot about that. Yeah. And uh, I watched it again, and I was like, okay, got it. Uh (laughs) Uh, And then he gets in a plane immediately after. And uh, the plane driver's like, yeah, I've been having a lot of trouble trouble with my plane. So there's a lot of carbon buildup in the pipes. And Henry's just like, ugh. So horrifying. Can I imagine flying in like one of those tiny planes and the guy just like nonchalantly being like, yeah, but I'm having trouble. Every time I take this thing out, I got to take it. <laughs> um, horrifying. So... He's just taking every possible means. Uh, he's taking every possible means of conveyance to get away from having to answer this phone call from his, uh, his attorney, which is yeah. apparently an emergency. Uh, and I think that at this point they've told him it's concerning his finances. So he knows he has to yeah, you know, yeah. finally, uh, finally do something. But he doesn't seem to be too aware of it or too worked up over it. He's just kind of like walking around pretty slow. Right. No, he's so he's so completely aloof and so disconnected from like the reality that eventually his funds were going to run out. I mean, as, I mean, as happens in the next scene, his lawyer has to explain it like six times. Like, uh, how can I put this? Oh, you don't my have, God. You don't have $6,000. You don't have $60. The, the scene with the lawyer. Ah, I wish I could have the script to this because it's like the I got high the instant this movie started and like like aggressively high to the point where like i was beyond return i haven't smoked like this in a while and Mm -hmm. the movie just like immediately felt like um when he was talking to the lawyer and the subsequent scenes felt like a playtime in that we're looking at this uh 
what is a like a very well-established way of life being a rich dude and going to a polo club and like it's been trodden in every movie but somehow in this it's like this weird series of like places and items and pieces of clothing and people chasing you around trying to get you on a phone call Mm -hmm. which is like kind of summarized in this scene with his lawyer where the lawyer is trying to describe to him basically the sentence you're out of money but they have this like three minute conversation uh he's like Mr. Graham, I must explain a concept to you. And he's like, just get on with it. Tell me what's going on. And he's like, I, please, I need to describe this to you. So when a entity's capital is generated and the spending of that entity is greater than the capital that is made, I, I don't even know how he says he it. He all like, pulls out a blackboard. No, it goes on for minutes, and uh, we find out that he's already like written a $500 check so he could yeah. wash his hands of the whole situation. He's so glad now he's finally going to be rid of Graham yeah, as yeah. a client. And he says something along the lines of, like, you know, I, I, I had already, I've already written a $600 check so I could be sure that this would not be my fault. And, and Matthew just completely deadpans in mind, like, uh, what would you say about writing me another check for 6000 to involve yourself permanently? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the uh, so he... Immediately when he starts talking to him, uh, Walter Matthau's character just has a $6,000 check written and just gives it to him. He's like, just whatever it is, just here, figure mm-hmm. it out. And uh, and then he's like, I don't think you understand because he's trying to tell him that he has no money. Um, but even, <laughs> even, even after he says, he's like, your spending is greater than your income. There is no more income to be spent. And <laughs> Walter Matthau's like, well, get on with it. What are you trying to say? And he's like, ah, uh, I, I said income. I said capital. Um, uh, money. Uh, yeah, that must be it. Uh, you have no money left. Money. You have no money. And he's like, uh, all right, well, what are you trying to say? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it goes on for minutes and minutes. And um, oh, what, I, I can't remember if it's his butler or his attorney who says something along the lines of like, well, you know, you'll be poor in the only sense that really matters, in the sense that you won't be rich. <laughs> um so i i think in this scene i'm immediately like uh we're kind of making fun of super rich people and the way they describe money and how it's just this whole fucking huge series of i don't know this whole vocabulary that just is basically getting at the idea that you either have money or you don't or you're either super rich or you're not super rich and uh uh Walter Matthau, I'll, I'll call him Henry Graham. Henry Graham does not understand him, understand this concept mm-hmm. at all by, by, by him trying to tide this over by, by giving him a check. And then um, after this conversation, they get into this weird nego. It's going to be so hard to describe the bits that happen because they are so wildly complex and uh-huh. disparate. But it's um, such a but- sweaty plot, the whole scheme at its center. <laughs> yeah. So. Basically, he turns poor, and it takes him a minute to understand this. But once he understands this, his face completely changes, and he's like, oh, I'm poor. And I think the most incredible sequence, and I thought the whole movie was going to be him doing this. He revisits all his former haunts, like the uh, the racket club, the mm-hmm. polo club, uh, the uh, fucking Lutece, horse. Uh, restaurant featured in Mad Men, of course, you'll remember. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Um, yeah, he goes in and it's these really touching scenes of him oh. going in, talking to the people and they're like, 
even though he's lost all You'll his money, like welcome here. none of these people know. Yeah, he goes in and um, he goes into the racket club, and the, he's like, "Hey, sir, can I get a can I get a racket room for you? Or is there anything I can do for you?" He's like, "I just wanted to know if I'm still welcome here," and they're like. Of course you are. Absolutely. Uh, there's that poor sap getting turned down. There's just some sort of like bespectacled loser. Like, well, I guess I'll come <laughs> back tomorrow. Um, um, yeah. The one that really got me was with the, the waiter at Lutas. Where there's that shot of him uh, in that really bright light. He's literally got like tears welling up in his yeah. eyes. He plays it totally straight. He says, he, I think he actually says, like, I just wanted to take another look at it. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. Instead of sitting down and eating at the restaurant and writing like a bounce check, he's like, I just wanted to see the place one last time. And, they're just kind of like, oh. And you see this beautiful set, this beautiful restaurant, and you and you see, like, the entrance to the racket club. It's this ornate, really just awesome place. And then he goes finally to the polo club, and this, like, organ church music starts playing as he, like, puts the helmet on. He's, like, looking at the rackets and kind of laughing and, like, swinging them. And I thought the entire movie was him going to be was going to be him visiting these like old haunts of his and just using up whatever last kind of clout he has with people that doesn't that don't know he's poor yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but like every bit in this, Elaine May will just kind of sweep it away in order to make room for like a whole new series of bits. Mm-hmm. And she never sticks to like one thing, which I would have been so satisfied if it was Walter Matthau completely changed in his like poor man state and being like, whatever, I'm poor now. And just like slowly degrading into like destitution, um, losing his reputation. Uh, but as we'll see, things uh, things thicken and they change. Yeah, I realize we don't, we, we don't meet Henrietta, uh, Elaine May's character until like an hour into the movie, basically. Mm-hmm. Like we're more than halfway through. Um yeah, he has that great sequence. His his butler is going to leave after two weeks. His plan at this point is basically, I'm going to kill myself. He realizes his only other option is he's got to try to get married. Um, we realize that he's such a complete, like, pompous ass, even amongst, like, the rich assholes that he hangs out with. He's, yeah. he's taking it to a new level. Like, his butler, like, dresses him. He has that great line, like, <laughs> there's not going to be any work for him, because, like, well, how many people require the services of a gentleman's gentleman? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you've you've kept traditions alive that died before you were born. <laughs> um so he's he's like oh this is gonna be my two weeks you know if if we don't figure something out so he calls up his uncle his uncle who hates him who who raised him for most of his life and described that as like a chore um he he calls him up and asks him for i think like a fifty thousand dollar loan uh Mm -hmm. on the condition that if he can't pay it back and i think it's like six weeks he's gonna give him all of his possessions he's really just gonna be completely destitute and then i think he's really gonna kill himself yeah uh so this sequence with his uh, uncle Harry is incredible. It opens with the shot where Harry is this enormous o- ogre of a man. At this point, he's really just an orb of a man. He's in the uh-huh. foreground. It looks like he's about to take a bite out of Henry, who is in like the distance almost. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a, and, <laughs> and he's whole eating shot, tons the, of food. <laughs> this whole like ten minute sequence is him just eating this enormous buffet uh-huh. and. When pe- people eating food in movies is always so annoying because uh-huh. it's always just so obvious that they're just picking at stuff and doing as little as possible with it, you know, both because they don't want to be, you know, eating like six slices of bread every take and they also, you yeah. know, it's a continuity nightmare. He's right. just going at this buffet with gusto and it's really <laughs> just a hodgepodge, no rhyme or reason to what it's eating. It's really the sort of thing you do eat at a buffet, you know? Um, he's eating a uh, <laughs> he's eating a banana <laughs> with a knife and fork at one point. 
He's like smearing like caviar into those little toasts. Really just <laughs> the proverbial oh. prized pig. And uh, the best bit of that, of course, is him taking out a pepper mill. And it looks like he's about to grind the pepper. And it's an electric mill that he just... Uh-huh. Such a good joke, yeah. Walter Matthau starts talking and he just starts the pepper mill again. And then has to restart his what he was saying. Um, basically begging this other super rich fucking pig um for money and the guy and this pig just loving that someone is asking and he's like Uh no absolutely not i won't do it and he's like i'll give you what what did he say what was the most like crazy thing he wanted to give him uh well i think the last thing was the ferrari oh yeah Uh, i'll give you my ferrari um but uh in this scene and the previous scene where he talks to his butler and his uh his but he talks to his butler. He's like, "What would what would you do if I told you I uh, no longer have any money?" And he's like, "I'd give you my two weeks." Um, and uh, throughout this whole conversation, the butler is like doing these insane rituals of like taking his clothes off and putting clothes back on him and pouring him whiskey to like the most extreme perfection. Like he's like measuring his the bottle on his wrist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like pouring the exact amount of water that he obviously requires and like uh, it's really weird the length to which every character is characterized and has their own set of like mannerisms and uh, just tics and uh, bizarre behavior traits um, which kind of like for the butler it shows the relationship between Henry and him which is like extremely subservient uh very like connected the butler has this kind of like frankness to him and uh also there's a scene in between that and i'm just gonna be like naming scenes i don't know how else to talk about this but Mm -hmm. there's the point where he looks in the mirror and then it's like his life as a poor guy flashes before his eyes and my favorite part was like him in traffic and someone pointing at him like look at him he drives a chevrolet and then him uh-huh. looking at the mirror like oh my god uh-huh. he's going to like the y with that poor bastard who got turned down from the racket club uh-huh. it, it's like julian english when he's like truly hit rock bottom oh my god vase and imagining all like, how women aren't gonna want to date him well i thought it was a lot like money also yeah yeah just him just not having money ostracized. anymore and being like what the fuck uh-huh. Yeah, no, great stuff. There, it, it's I've never seen Playtime, but I'm about to pretend like I have. Um, mm-hmm. From my understanding of Playtime, it's a movie that you know there's just so much going on in every frame. Uh, though this is obviously a much smaller movie in scale, I think there's uh-huh. similarly a ton of business going on in every frame. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's so much to look at in this movie for a movie that's you know small in scale. There's also there's like a hierarchy um, in this kind of rich guy world of people that are serving you or people that are hosting you and then like rich guy on rich guy. And, uh, Henry speaks to all of them very differently. Like when he goes to the lawyer, he kind of like barters with him when he goes to the, uh, when he talks to his Butler, it's like, do this, do that. When he goes to his uncle and needs money, um, there's all these relationships that we kind of explore his character and who he was before this event, because we know nothing really about him besides like the conversations that he goes through. Um, a great, uh, he, he's kind of characterized as like a dumbass, like has no idea what he's doing with his money and doesn't basically doesn't even know how to do math, which is evidenced by his uncle, uh, asking him what 50,000 times 10 is. And he's, he's like 50,000 times 10 looks up <laughs> at the ceiling, kind of looks back at his uncle. He's like, that's 
everything. Uh, yeah, he's like all but counting on his fingers. Um, <laughs> I like um, later in the movie. Well, I guess I should probably save this for for like one. <laughs> One second, because he's also when he's trying to be a smart guy. I like that he's such like a dumb per. He's such a dumb smart guy. Uh-huh. He's like rattling off like facts and stuff. Oh yeah, but they're like, uh, <laughs> she's like, uh, when he meets Elaine May, they're talking about like, oh the uh, what do they say? It's shit is named after. He keeps talking about uh, whoa, 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 when they're talking about stuff being named after people, and he's like, oh yeah, like Brussels sprouts. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, oh like, uh, yeah, naming like. He has one example like Parkinson's, and then he truly can't think of another one. He's like. Oh. <laughs> he's like Brussels sprouts. Oh, when he's trying to impress her with his like botany knowledge, and he's like, oh, "I've been reading about uh, Gregor Mendel, like truly, like just dropping <laughs> sixth grade biology knowledge. I've been reading about Gregor Mendel in a textbook with a kid playing soccer." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, so basically, his the idea his butler gives him is like, you need to find a wife who's super rich, or you're gonna go broke and your life's gonna fall apart. And he is such a misanthrope and a misogynist and like a no fap guy. Uh, he really is shown to just hate everybody. He, he yeah. decides, oh, I'll marry this woman and I'll murder her as uh-huh. quickly as possible, ideally on our honeymoon after yeah. she's written all of her money over to me. Which is, it's weird that this movie takes such like a angle into like a, did you have the same feeling of me where like, I didn't expect him to, like, pick up on this. I didn't expect that to be, like, a plot element that we were going to, like, oh, now we're going into, like, plot, uh, uh, finding a wife and everything. I thought it was just going to be, like, him having all these conversations and, like, it was just going to stay in this kind of strange conversational place. I just totally didn't expect that uh, he was going to want to be rich again for some reason. How screwy it gets, yeah. The screwball <laughs> yeah. antics. It does um, get yeah. really screwy. He, he's, he goes around to a lot of just sort of like rich people functions. One of my favorite notes about his performance, by the way, is how he slips in and out of like the lost block jaw he's talking with. Like he can't stick to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that, I don't know, I find that to be like a charming uh, imperfection in the performance. And I think it's probably also, uh, I don't know, supposed to be, supposed to suggest that for him this whole identity is such a put on. Uh-huh. Um, it's all about like looking the part. He goes to all these like rich people functions. This this very buxom woman goes on a uh, oh is going God. out with him, and she's about to take her top off, and he runs like screaming. Uh, yeah, so she's like, "I'm a woman, Henry. I've got experiences. I've got a background. I've got a life. Like I I I'm I I feel I've learned so much. Like she's such like over the top human that <laughs> he's like, oh my god, shut oh. up. He just needs somebody that's like no personality, doesn't like anything. And this woman's like, I need to be untamed. I need to have sex. This and the Graduate, two movies made by what are obviously such smart, who are obviously such smart uh, people." Uh, you know, written and directed by by very smart people that both involve just crass bouncing breast jokes. This movie, he's uh, he's like water skiing with this woman, and yeah. it's just so appalled. <laughs> them, them water skiing. Oh my god! And like that scene that it's a close up of her breast, like about to be unclasped from a bra. I was like afraid that that was going to happen. I was like, whoa, does this actually happen in this movie? It seems like both May and Nichols have like a uh, a disdain for just. Uh, movies taking the normal path and and they really want to kind of transgress like rating systems and going to the point where people are saying and showing kind of nasty things on the screen nasty in the uh i don't know 1950s sense Mm -hmm. there's some great moments that like like making him uncomfortable is like elaine may is able to find 
ways in which his personhood and his like way of living can be like just totally thrown into just chaos by somebody who's like embracing life because he's obviously so disconnected from just like his body and I don't know. Well, he, he he's life. just as befuddled and like fumbling as um, Dustin Hoffman is in The Graduate. There's just as much like oh oh oh, oh, oh no yeah. <laughs> uh, certainly yeah oh geez oh 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 what are those you know like yeah. very uh, completely uncomfortable in his own skin. Uh huh. Um, he 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 goes to another party and th- I think this is the best joke in the movie. When she's introducing him to everybody, every at the party. single this woman per- whose last name sounds like the c word. His last, her last name's a like counselor or something. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, um, I love. It's like being high at a family party, walking in and just being introduced to every single person in the room. And she says something like, "This is, uh, I don't know. This is, I don't remember what their first names are. This is the Hitlers." <laughs> and he goes, uh, "Oh, you wouldn't happen to be related to the Boston Hitlers, were you?" <laughs> So, so, so good. Oh and just play like completely straight. Like he waits a beat before asking. It's so good. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like every single person in the frame is introduced to, mm-hmm. and they, they, we don't cut away from that. Yeah. And he notices, uh, this, this woman, uh, kind of sitting by herself who looks sort of awkward. You know, who is that? Uh, he, it's Elaine May's character. He finds out she's uh, Henrietta Lowell. She is a, uh, an heiress, uh, no family, no friends, uh, a botanist, a real a real nerd. Uh, and he goes over and talks to her. And uh, Elaine May gives such an incredible performance in this movie. Again, mm-hmm. without overdoing it, does so much like business uh, as Henrietta. She keeps spilling her tea. And mm. uh, her host is uh, hostess is just getting uh, more and more mortified uh, as this continues to go on. She, much like Henry, is sort of a... Uh, a, a weird fit in this community. Uh, he, by design, and, and, and in her case, because she just can't, she can't act the part. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he's somebody who makes such a makes such a big deal about how well he's able to act and look the part, and she just cannot keep it together. <laughs> I like that she's really, really, really trying to hold the teacup steady and just cannot fucking do it. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. it's clear how much she's like trying. <laughs> they, she, she spills her tea gets another cup immediately spills it again is like fumbling everywhere and this there's no cut during the scene of them just like wrestling with like trying to wipe up the tea like if if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it you really i highly recommend it this is definitely one of the most exciting movies we've ever watched and it's not up its own ass in any way it's just like totally allows this these comedic elements to play out and allows all these different characters to express themselves in a way that ends up being really funny um there's during this scene there's like this uh deep kind of focus like a deep lens that focuses on like multiple people in the frame so like two people will be talking and then we have like people in the background reacting or like just doing something different and you kind of don't know who to look at (laughs) um because everyone is acting there's a um, there's a there's a, a maid um, cleaning the tea stain out of the carpet the whole time, and when Walter Matthau snaps at the hostess and says something like "this erotic obsession with your carpet," the, the maid's head, head pops up. back into frame. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's so well blocked. Uh-huh. Um, just yeah, again, like so much business going on in the frame, despite this not being a movie that's on a particularly large scope, you know. Yeah, um, she similar to Nichols, I feel like he uses that kind of like deep frame to show things that are happening in the foreground and background. There's even a similar kind of like 
cutout shot of like someone in in the extreme foreground, which you wouldn't have been able to do with like the lenses they had, but someone in the extreme foreground, like the uncle at one point in this movie and Henry in the background and like being able to show them like right next to each other, both in focus. Uh, Nichols does that same thing in the graduate, like twice, which is interesting. And they both use the frame as like a comedic device, which is strict. Like, I don't know how they have, they're able to like utilize all these parts of filmmaking to make something funny and not just their like improv experience. It's, it's, yeah, it's crazy how quickly they both took to it. Cause I mean, I, I, the, the way they're using uniquely cinematic aspects of filmmaking too, it's not just like, you know, a, a great stage, a great stage director and great stage performer being able to just basically make it work. Like they're mm-hmm. using the frame and using like zooming and uh, using the lens in such interesting ways. Uh, it's crazy that they both, uh, took to it immediately. Yeah. Uh, so they, uh, they drive around, uh, the Ferrari breaks down again. Um, I don't know. I, I assume. Do you do you think Henrietta and Henry ever have sex in this movie? Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. Um. They they're sort of they're sort of hitting it off. Um. The next night, uh, I, I they go out to um. I don't know when when are they drinking? When does she mention this uh this Mogan David's extra heavy Malaga wine with soda and lime oh juice? Oh my god! <laughs> I guess they're oh. out to dinner. My and she mentions God. that all she really likes to drink is uh, yeah, he's Logan like, David's extra heavy Malaga wine juice with, uh, with soda and lime juice. She says it like 10 times. After he buys her like a 1980 bo- or, you know, a bottle of 1951 uh, like Burgundy, she's like, well, actually my favorite wine is, what, can you say the name of it again? Uh, Mogan David's extra heavy Malaga wine with soda and lime juice. <laughs> she's like, He's like, yeah, the the fifty one is an incredible year for Burgundy, and you know it's a good wine when it comes out in one of those wicker things. Oh yeah, yeah. and oh. then she's like, actually, I find that Mogan David's uh... something being described as extra heavy, <laughs> extra heavy, and then he Ooh. fucking oh, extra heavy wine, best drank like out of a big pitcher, and Ooh. then he goes to his butler and tries to enunciate the thing that she said to him. He's like, I need. Mogan David's extra heavy. (laughs) And he like drops a tray. (laughs) Yeah, the butler's like, are you fucking kidding? He's like, please do not ask. Oh, he says something like, I said she was primitive. (laughs) 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 Yeah, she's great. She's just, um, she just, uh, she's just, she doesn't, it's, it's such a specific performance of somebody who's awkward, who's just, just a little unbearable mm-hmm. um when she, when she stands up and she's covered in like crumbs <laughs> something that they, already, they don't she doesn't linger on it for more than like a second and a half and the joke just registers perfectly just right the perfect it's like a rim shot you know it's like uh-huh. just hitting that symbol perfectly yeah because like there's there's maybe one or two bits that go on a little too long or something that's just not funny but you know you never have to worry because it immediately gets swept up in something else which like the uh the nature of this movie is like to encounter the situation and like see how our main guys kind of work in it and then kind of show how these other people are working and how what their relationships to things are, but there's nothing I can say that like is like a uniting factor between any of the gags or like any of the even like plot lines or any of the characters 
there's like characters that come that I'm just like, this is fucking bizarre. Like this person does not belong in this movie at all. Like uh, the woman who gets all pissed about shit spilling on the carpet, she's got this crazy temper um, that is just like, whoa, like I didn't know because, and I found this really interesting with the two types of lawyers that are highlighted. We, we, mm-hmm. we see this one lawyer and he's this really hoity toity guy. And he's like describing things in all these fucking crazy terms. And then we see Elaine May's lawyer. Who's this like really shitty guy, but works in the same office as the other lawyer, but like on a much lower floor, they like Great show the, shot. Yeah. Oh, they sh- goes, he actually works in this office. I believe she's <laughs> she's his only client. Oh, yeah. I so, mean, again, just yeah, really stylish filmmaking for for for, for a debut feature. Um, yeah. So he he invites her over to his uh, his. Uh, I, I, I guess he lives in an apartment. I don't know. I assume he doesn't have a, uh, a standalone like home in New York. Uh, they're uh, they're drinking this Mogan David's uh, extra ultra heavy wine or whatever it's called. This like wine cooler. And she's got a wine mustache the whole time. Oh, yeah. Great really stuff. Weird. And he keeps trying to drink it. Oh. <laughs> Again, like, without overplaying it, without doing, like, <laughs> it's, uh-huh. it's just so mortified. Like, <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> it's like Rose's lime juice and uh, soda water with this fucking red wine in a coupe. And then she immediately asks for a straw. He's like, oh, I don't have a straw really ahead of his time she spills again and he just starts dumping it on the ground oh so good and then as he's trying to propose to her he has to like chug a bunch of it and he's completely like <laughs> oh there's a point where i realized would that like all these people are understand as separate people and not as people within the kind of class that they're in like the two lawyers are very different type of lawyers which just shows that she's not putting like lawyers into some box or like not putting rich people into like this class of rich people there's like disgusting rich people dumb rich people rich people that are fucking nerds rich uh dudes that serve rich people and like subservient people to the rich people or like his butler is like subservient but also really kind of harsh and like involved um and so like every scene and every person is understood in a unique way yeah i mean it's 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 like every well everybody it's 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 a world that's just slightly off i would say it's like a little more realistic a little less like screwy than like early woody allen movies but honestly probably more screwball even than like the the screwball comedies that earned the name you're bringing up babies and what have you Mm -hmm. um her her lawyer especially is such an over-the-top character um, he, we were made to understand has been like trying and failing to marry, uh, Henrietta for, for years. Uh-huh. And when he finds <laughs> out about it, he throws this fit. He starts like woof, he starts like woofing like a dog, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds like the sort of thing we would just make up, uh, that a character would do in a movie, but he's like crying into the curtains and like yipping and hollering. Oh my gosh. Which is punctuated by, uh, Henry and Elaine May's character getting married and the lawyer just crying during the ceremony right in the middle of that. Like loud. And he walks down the aisle and he's like whispering to her like, I'm going to fucking kill myself, Henrietta. I'm going to jump off a bridge. I'm going to cut my penis off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was incredible. Um, There's also a few scenes where he's just in the foreground reading a book about like toxicology or about uh, some other shit. Well, in the background, Elaine May is like, doing some putzing around crazy shit yeah <laughs> oh god there's that hilarious scene when they're on their honeymoon yeah and she is like 
she's tied to like a tree so she doesn't fall off this cliff, but like hanging off of a cliff in the most like precarious. It's the sort of thing that like Maggie Simpson would be doing in the background <laughs> while Homer is like trying to turn the TV on with his gun. In yeah. The Simpsons. It's like completely like the you most... could just turn around and like cut the rope. Yeah. So, the most so absurdly fun. precarious situation. She's like hanging off a cliff by a thread while he's like reading a book in the foreground. It's something I like about her character is that she's not just a complete dipshit. Like she's shown to be like good at her job and like passionate. Yeah. Yeah, and like exactly. she genuinely falls in love with uh, Walter Matthau's character. Uh, I mean, I I I, I think I, I think there's a degree to which she doesn't like let Henrietta completely off the hook. I, I think it it, it speaks to um, maybe something that Elaine May was trying to say about relationships and like the institution of marriage in general. That like, uh-huh. people have to be such like deluded like idiots to a certain degree yeah. to to like agree to it. Uh-huh. But um, I like that uh, she could just be, like, a complete, like, klutz character, and she is shown to be um, at least, you know, competent in, in, in certain respects. Yeah. I think that that Walter Matthau and Elaine May acting together, it's just, like, meeting of the fucking minds. They are genius <laughs> actors, especially... Both firing on all cylinders. Walter Matthau in points where you don't... When he's not the focus of attention, he's obviously just pretty full of himself, so he's always, like, kind of overacting, but... The fucking shit he ends up doing at some some points, like his butler is pulling pieces of glass out of his knee, and because uh, he <laughs> he kneeled in glass, and uh, immediately, like, and he's really gently trying to pull the glass out. And he's like, "God damn it! What the hell is wrong with you? What are you doing to me?" As he's like trying to care for him, it's just like so good. oddball like kind of baby. shit that just comes out of his mouth. Or when he's tr- he's trying to be... So he doesn't actually like Elaine May, but he wants to make her his wife because she's super rich and uh, her parents just He's got to pay off this died. loan yeah. to his uncle and then he's got to kill her so he can just have all of her money for good. And she... Oh, so the whole plot, the whole having to repay his uncle gets uh, resolved immediately because she wants to marry him so badly. She's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm sure we, we, we pay off this debt mm-hmm. uh, before the wedding even. She just like... Her lawyer thinks he's got this whole like conspiracy cooked up. Thinks he's like got everything figured out, and she just is like, "No, absolutely not." Yeah, they just kind of we're getting married. And, and, all the tension uh, he's gets not in debt anymore, over. and I'm writing over. Uh, we're opening up a joint bank account. My money is his money from day one. Uh, so he's like hot diggity dog. He's still gonna murder her, um, but uh, it's sort of biding his time. And her house is in just complete disarray because her housekeeper is uh, running uh, a, a scheme with her lawyer, just stealing from her. Just completely, uh, just just bleeding her dry. Oh yeah. And <laughs> Walter Matthau calls a meeting of this like twenty person staff, intending to just fucking like unveil the, uh, this whole scheme he's uncovered and have them all fired. And they surprise him with like a surprise party. <laughs> They've got like cakes <laughs> oh, and they're popping champagne and shit. And so once again, just a frame where so much is going on. And he's so without like raising his voice, without really even like raising his eyebrows, is just so visibly like. What what fucking planet am I on? It's such a <laughs> bizarro scene. Oh. oh my god! And then he has to fire all of them after after them throwing a surprise party for him. Oh, and how about when he's how about when he and Henrietta are walking up the stairs and they're stuck behind they're stuck walking behind that one old uh that one old like maid and he's like he's trying to tell her, like oh would you mind taking the uh, servants uh, staircase please and she's just like <laughs> muttering to herself and the, the the young girl walks by smoking a cigarette and she's like Jesus fucking. <laughs> oh. um and they uh they he, he has them all fired he hires a new staff i like that they're like subtly it's it's clear that they're 
kind of just like learning to live with one another. She's trying to get him to uh, take a job at her university. I like that he could he could teach there with just a BA. Can you imagine? God, the life I'd be leading right now. Talk about an aspirational movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> how about when she's she's got the uh, Venetian style nightgown on, the uh-huh. Grecian style nightgown? Just like wearing, just wearing this weird sash, and uh, Walter's like, they're having a conversation, and he's like, uh, "What are you wearing?" She's like, "Oh, it's, it's like a, a Grecian style nightgown. Um, it's just, it's supposed to be like this." He's like, "No, you've you've got your head in the wrong hole." And then they wrestle with her clothing for a minute and a half, and it's mm-hmm. like. Elaine May is just using every like the costume and like the pieces of the set and the variety of characters just to like find comedy wherever it can be found. And I think in in Mike Nichols' case, he doesn't really do that. He kind of sticks to the plot and he'll he'll do like interesting things that serve the plot, but never kind of deviate from it and do like and except in the hotel in. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about The Graduate specifically, mm-hmm. but in the hotel scene, he does that a little bit. He does kind of the slapstick, but Elaine May is just like a slapstick purist in this one. She's looking she's for really comedy wherever it can be found. Yeah, yeah. Snaps a tail. Uh, it's like every, <laughs> every little bit of the set becomes... I like. I mean, the real comedy genius of that whole sequence to me lies in the fact that like they're talking for like two minutes before he remarks, and the fact that her head is clearly sticking out of the armhole of this bizarre garment. Like, <laughs> so good. She does such yeah. good prop work in this. She does such good like hand work. Oh yeah, she's always kind of like ma- always- <laughs> doing these like John Singer Sergeant ass hands. Uh-huh. Um, they go up on a, a, a canoe trip to the Adirondacks. Um, which I'm not sure if they really filmed it in the Adirondacks. The Adirondacks, I don't know if you've ever been, very spooky, very spooky locale. Uh, Oh, yeah. State park, bigger than many national parks. You got that right, Bennett. Um, He's imagining all the ways she could, like, die on this trip. That's one, okay, one part of this movie besides the word WAP that's aged poorly is he's imagining her being, like, killed by, like, Native Americans. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, says, oh, we're going to the Adirondacks. And he imagines just ten Native, like, cartoonish Native Americans coming up and killing her. I'm like, oh, my God. They, Elaine May has conceived of him thinking the Adirondacks is just this place that's just wild with Native Americans like it just shows his misunderstanding of the entire world but like ah oh, i just so perfect i can't I, I don't know how she thinks of this i guess she undercuts the the, the racism of that by then choosing uh what, what we're supposed to believe is an equally ridiculous scene which is like a guy in a bear suit like picking a lane up over his like head <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will say it's clear this might be where the budget ran out. There's some bad ADR during the sequence. Maybe it was mm. just too loud in the forest. Uh, you can tell it that the, the um that a lot, especially Elaine May's voice was recorded after the fact. Mm. Um, it, like it's weirdly like loud. Hmm. Um, some great stuff when they're camping. Classic mosquito material. Um, classic canoe material. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, pretty like pretty I, I wouldn't go so far as to call this like bravura filmmaking but pretty like muscular filmmaking for a comedy like actually shooting from within a canoe in a you know some pretty choppy water you know i don't know not a lot of not a lot of like romantic comedies are doing this sort of like stunt work 
I, I, f- I find it more kind of bizarrely risky than anything Mike Nichols has done. I, I mean, I guess we're comparing them. But like, hey, Charlie Wilson's war was speaking truth to power. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> she just seems to really trust her own ability to be funny and to like uh, rely on her own kind of devices and 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 setups to like to work and and to follow them through without having to uh, pad them with elements of plot or just like exciting shit happening like the entire climax the well the the climax which would be his uncle fucking him out of all this money and shit going terribly wrong for him just completely gets washed over within a minute and that's no longer part of the movie and even the scene like when he's supposed to kill her we could have that happen and she just kind of tidies it up and allows it to like have a happy ending and it doesn't seem like that's in order to like please anyone because it's not the happy ending it's it's not the ending i wanted was like to have her die i guess and him to get away and like she just kind of never lets things resolve into this like movie type of place (laughs) in order to just keep having these fucking crazy gags and new characters be introduced and new locales I really wish we could see the three-hour version of this movie, just because like yeah. I want more wacky characters. I want more bits. I the, one of the, another the genius component of this movie is the fact that she gets us to basically sympathize with Walter Matthau, who's obviously such a despicable, horrifying character, mm-hmm. and she also gets us to fall in love with Henrietta, who is so fucking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just, I mean, they're both just they're they're both such like fully wonderfully realized characters that we're like. Oh, I guess I'm glad that they're uh, I'm glad that they're sort of stuck with each other, and I, I hope they can find uh, some sort of an understanding the way Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette did. <laughs> Maybe through some sort of metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, um, a mirror trick. Yeah. So basically, she names a fern after him, which is this. This it's been like her lifelong ambition is to discover a new fern and get it named after uh, her, or just get to name it. Period. I guess really, she never says she's going to name it after herself. He, she names after him. He's so, uh, he's so uh, taken aback. And when he's gonna let her drown, pretty precarious. She's underwater for a fucking while. It's kind of amazing that he does manage to go back in and save her. Um, she's like drowning in these like rapids. Their canoe's been tipped over. He finds another example of the new fern that she's discovered, and it's like, oh no, you know, I've, I've got to save her. I, I, I can't do this. Oh uh, yeah, it's like a sweet moment with him and the leaves. The movie kind of just ends with them walking back into civilization, and a lot like um, I don't know, just a lot like those, like a lot like Cassavetti's movies. It ends, it's it, it ends with um, I don't know, so much to so much still to come, right? We we can't even fathom like the conversations these characters are going to have after mm-hmm. the events of this movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost wish that <laughs> it ended with like her uncovering that he had been trying to kill her or something, because that would have really left us like on a. Oh, what's what, what's coming up next? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I, I I I guess there's a lot of weight in the fact that he's like got to live with like the guilt of like, geez, I really was about to kill her. Um, yeah, I think uh, there are a lot of things missing when it does end. It's it's it doesn't. Um, I, I think it resolves in a way that the the movie kind of doesn't. Um, but overall, I think this was just super incredible filmmaking and uh she's really setting out to be a pretty strange filmmaker and i think that's hard doing comedy because you have to be an experimental filmmaker first 
and then also be extremely funny, which a lot of experimental filmmakers are just not. They're just <laughs> fucking nerds. I think she's she's just it I don't know how it how it came to happen that she is so fucking funny and so fucking talented and I mm-hmm. I really can't wait to see the the next few things and to revisit Mikey and Nikki and uh to see Ishtar for the first time. Damn, yeah. she is a fucking she's just a fucking whore like just crazy talented. I I don't understand it. Yeah, and I, I she's really kind of i mean she's become like a very fashionable filmmaker now and she's really getting kind of widely reappraised which is cool uh she's so great uh it's really crazy that anybody was this good out of the gate and that this film could be a completely butchered version of what she intended and it's still that good yeah Um, that sucks um, that it got fucked up by these people yeah yeah i mean it's 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 you gotta really admire though a filmmaker who right out of the gate is willing to go to bat for their own like vision mm-hmm. um, and obviously we, we it gets said a lot like the men who do this get chances on top of chances to to, to keep doing it you know right right Mick, Mick G has made how many flops and he's probably gonna direct like the next fucking star trek movie noah hawley directed a movie called lucy in the sky that made like six hundred dollars despite starring natalie uh. and john ham and he's directing the next star trek movie. oh wonderful um yeah, this movie, I, I will say one more thing. The the scene with his Uncle Harry, I now finally get a Simpsons joke that I've always loved. Oh, uh-huh, um, what's that? <laughs> there's an episode, uh, one of the uh, Treehouse of Horror episodes, I think it's like number four. Um, Homer sells his soul for a donut and <laughs> um, Flanders is the devil and sends him to hell for like a day to yeah. the Department of Ironic Punishments. And this demon is feeding Homer just millions and millions of donuts from this like conveyor belt. And Homer's just going like... <laughs> <laughs> and it cuts to like 25 you know the disgusting eating sound homer does and it uh-huh. cuts to like i don't know, i guess it's supposed to have been hours and hours later and he just keeps eating them and he's, he's gotten like huge and fat and then demon goes i don't understand james coco went mad after 15 minutes james coco plays uncle harry so that is the joke <laughs> yeah. he, he is uh yeah he, he's a glutton he's a physically wow. gluttonous actor i'll tell you that he died of a heart attack at 56 all right really whoa yeah wow man dedicated to the glutinous life Oof, prized pig in this movie i'll tell you that <laughs> uh bennett any any other any other comments you wanted to say about this stray remarks um i i hope i hope people will watch along with us elaine may's films uh, i have never seen ishtar but i've obviously seen mikey nikki and then the heartbreak kid in this movie and they're all really great mm-hmm. and uh you know though she's being reappraised still underseen so uh you know do yourself a favor oh man i really hope people will watch this shit more than anything else it is a joy and it makes you a better person this is a great movie yeah um not always the most interesting episodes when we're, when we're just kind of like talking about how much we like a movie but yeah. uh, you know hope you guys enjoy four episodes of that <laughs> <laughs> more to come uh from here over at uh, universal studios in uh universal studios florida uh signing out shane p and Ah, for Shane P, I'm Bennett G. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you to Bennett G, I'm Shane P. Ah, and we'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning. (laughs) On our daily podcast, our daily uh, podcast. Let's Um, just start doing a six-hour live podcast. Yeah, okay. Let's start it now. Ready, go. (laughs) 